Hello, hello. Joey here. Welcome back to Droolish. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Droolish. I'm your host, Joey Montano. Not that the name really matters, I'm really just a voice that helps you fall asleep. And in case you are new to the podcast, Droolish is a sleep and relaxation podcast focusing on helping you relax, get your mind off of your day, hopefully curb that insomnia, and reduce mind chatter. Or at least that's what I found to be the most effective use. Now, I am going to dive straight into the finale of this Note Card Revisited series. I know this is probably, I think, episode or part eight or nine, or maybe seven. I don't know. I've lost count. Um, But we've gone through well over, I would have to say, 120 to 100, almost 200 different note cards. Maybe I'm off. I I feel like this this is the right amount. And uh, if you are unaware, this, uh, about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, I wrote a number of ideas, thoughts, uh, tips, just pieces of advice for myself. Some of these are just initial thoughts or ideas for series, shows, creative projects. It just more self like self improvement and kind of uh, ways for me to stay focused. And uh, incidentally, I did not really revisit these uh, at any given point really until a few weeks ago. And I figured, why not? Let's just create some episodes that go over these note cards and see if there's any good gems, good tidbits that can help you guys out, that can help me out, uh, that I think you guys might find a, at least mildly amusing or interesting, to say the least. Now, again, if you are new to the podcast, I do blend uh, background noises, and you might start hearing some rain, some white noise right about now, to help create a more relaxing, calming experience. Uh, one thing to note is that my goal of this podcast is, again, to help you reduce mind chatter, to get your mind off of your day. And more importantly, I, I don't want people to use this podcast as a quote-unquote crutch to alleviate uh, sleep problems. I, I do get emails from people that are you know, very thankful for the podcast and it helps them fall asleep. Obviously, the goal for you and for me is to be able to sleep without any use of additional aids or you know, anything else that would kind of be... Uh, I don't know, I want to say all natural, but just, you know, to find ways to where you don't need uh, assistance to improve your sleep quality. As an insomniac myself, uh, especially when I was younger, in my early 20s, it was pretty terrible. I've talked about it a lot. Uh, you know, I wanted to create a podcast experience that I think hits, like fits the bill for a lot of people who have struggles falling asleep. Or for some of you, if you're like me, who would wake up in the middle of the night and can't fall back asleep. And I hope that this podcast is able to bring any sort of value, either in the form of information, either just the way I talk. I don't really know, per se. It's just that I've noticed uh, throughout my life, my voice tends to induce yawns. And I figured, why not create a podcast that's just focused around me, my thoughts, and just talking about random things that will hopefully bring some interest, and more importantly, will get you to dreamland. That being said, we're going, to re- we're going to be wrapping up this series, and let's just dive straight into it, shall we? I don't know if this is going to be a long one or a short one, but today's theme, uh, aside from the note cards, is essentially uh, YouTube ideas. 
uh, not just YouTube ideas, but YouTube series ideas, thoughts, and just kind of, uh, just, I would say just like mind vomit, <laughs> idea vomits of just series that I thought might take off, that might have viral potential. Uh, I'm going to look back at it right now. <laughs> we'll, we'll see in hindsight if this makes sense. And if not, well, you all get to enjoy a lot of terrible ideas, which I don't think they really are. I don't go out of my way to to create terrible content. Um, if it just happens to be terrible, so be it. Uh, I've intentionally tried to do terrible things anyway uh, for the longest time, and, it, and I tend to hit the mark. It's actually pretty easy to do. So I wanted to create these note cards and just more ideas that try to up the bar. And if you're someone who is in the YouTube space or someone that's in the entertainment space that is looking for ideas, I talk about ideas all the time, idea generation, and I try to do my best to offer logic and try to uh, try to do my best to offer kind of like the reverse engineering of just the thought process in general. And hopefully this makes a lot of sense. Uh, maybe one day I'll get to these series, but I, I've written a lot of these. Uh, I think I have about 12 of these already in note cards, and these are going to be the final note cards. Uh, on top of that, I do have the old spreadsheet that talks about, I think, another like 50 to 100 of, the, of like topics that I need to write or do, like create videos on. But at the end of the day, I just don't have the time to do YouTube. I don't, I don't know the people to do all the editing for me. I, I see how other people do it, and frankly, I'd rather just. I, I feel like I'm at my best self right now when it comes to explaining things uh, on this podcast. So I'm going to do this and just kind of roll with it. If there's something that I feel really uh, passionate about, or just something, or I feel like enthralled to take action, I generally do that regardless. So maybe uh, one of these cards will actually uh, be the catalyst to do that. If not, well then so be it. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, you guys can take some of these or you guys can run with more of what I'm going to talk about with for some of these ideas. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to break these note cards down because these ones uh, tend to, at least from the notes of it, I'm not going to look for all of them, but uh, like at the second, tend to be fairly in-depth uh, compared to the, all the other... Uh, episodes where some of the note cards were, were kind of more fragmented thoughts. These ones, I believe, should have more substance. So sit back, relax, close your eyes, and just listen to the rain. So number one for this YouTube series idea, and we're, ta we're talking about series here, so not just particular one-off episodes. This series is called, let's see here, I have a, this is called series. I have blank, flipping hate you, or yeah, blank effing hate you. In parentheses, I have short-tailed keywords, which I don't don't know what that means. But the idea behind the series is just a rant about how Google hates taking dirty money from the short-tailed keywords. The angle, preface it by saying. Uh, they are not totally bad guys, according to people. Point out good, Google wants to be right. Okay. So, what I just said probably sounds like a lot of gibberish, so I'm going to break this down for you. The idea here is I wanted to create a series that's based off of companies in more of a uh, dark dark humor, like more of a bastardish tone. Uh, that's, my, I'd say more mean-spirited. It's obviously jo joking in a way, but... Uh, create a ranting series that talks about why companies hate you specifically. Now, I'm not talking about you as a person, but like a type of person that they're trying to go after. And most of this is just kind of just based off of the idea of, uh, I'll just call it duality. You know, if it's good, there's evil, if it's evil, it's good. 
obviously there's things in between. I talk about this all the time. But uh, this hook is mainly going to be related to companies that actually hate their consumers versus the preachy, we love our consumers. Uh, it's just being reflective off of the dark side of these companies, which probably does not exist, but that's going to be my interpretation of it in this series. And the example I provided is Google. So essentially, this, this could be any company. It could be like Verizon, T-Mobile, but this specific example is Google. And what I mentioned here is, I ran about how Google hates taking dirty money from short-tailed keywords. It sounds very nuanced and very like granular and completely understand. However, uh, what I want to point out with this is, or maybe I think I'll just dive straight into kind of the rant itself, is, is what? Hey, Google. We're going to stick with Google for now. Google is effectively a company that will love taking their money and they make most of their money, not just through all the things that they build, uh, they do all the cool stuff with that, but most of the money they get is through ads. And in my experience, I'm working with marketing, especially in the paid ads, Google, Google Hemisphere, social media. Uh, one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest money, money makers is Google ads, which are the things you see on top of Google. If you have an ad block, you don't see them, but uh, I'm assuming some of you do. So you'll see ads on Google and the ads show up based off of personalization, you know, some of the keywords you're typing in, what Google thinks uh, is going to make sense. However, one of the things that, for me personally, that I have a gripe with Google, Google really has a hard time understanding, are short-tailed keywords. A short-tailed keyword is simply something that you type in the Google that is either one or two words long. That's it. So if I type in pizza, Google's got to think, am I looking for pizza recipes? Am I going to look for pizza jobs? Am I looking for pizza companies? Am I looking for nearby pizza places? Am I looking for best toppings on a pizza? Am I looking for pizza blog articles? Okay, so I list like seven different things there. Google has to do its best to figure out what that means. In doing so, I, since I just gave you seven different intents behind that word, the single word pizza, there is no way in hell that the ads that you're going to be catered and you're going to be, you know, trying to show off of Google when, when it's shown for the word pizza is going to be relevant. So Google is essentially taking dirty money. This is money that's going to be completely wasted in mo most times because you just typed on the pizza. Okay? So Google's taking this dirty money, money that does not make any sense. They're just saying, F you, companies. Like, geez, like you fucked up. They're taking your money. And they're just gonna run off it, run off of it. Basically, a scam. That's all I'm getting at. I mean, it's not a scam. Like there are ways to quote unquote make money, but for 99% of people who are trying to compete for these short tail keywords, unless it's very specific, they're stealing money. Okay. And again, Google's not trying to screw you over that way. That's just a perception. And don't get me wrong, Google, Google's main game, name of the game, is to be right. They want to be right. They want to have the right intent. They want to have the right answer. They only want to have, they only want to have you click the top answer and get what you're looking for to leave. That is their ultimate goal. That is all of our goals. If we're searching for a question or there's something we need, we want it immediately. I just find it that this is like one particular like gaping hole that Google has that I'm pretty sure, very sure, they make a huge amount of money in just volume alone. 
Like, just imagine, I, I totally forgot how many searches are happening like a month, or even a day, like a billion or something like that. Like, you charge, I don't know how many of those are just going to be like one or two word, like a hundred million. Charge like a dollar to make, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm highballing it, but, but you know, they're, they're just, they're printing money. And because of that, Google hates you. They're just, <laughs> I don't know. At least that's, that's kind of the idea behind it. I almost want to get rid of that because I already talked about it and I don't want to create a video about it, but uh, I still like it, so I'm keeping that note card. Number two. This is an interesting one, a series. Which Ocho Sports deserve its, which Ocho Sports deserve to go mainstream again? And this is an interesting one because of the fact that one, sports doesn't exist right now. It doesn't really, due to COVID doesn't and this was written a year ago and where what i am actually very perplexed is that a lot of secondary sports that would have shown that should be televised and i think we'd be only seeing twitch now aren't actually being shown on espn at least to my knowledge which throws me off like we're spending more the espn problems espn spending way more time way more time talking about celebrities playing video games you know sports athletes doing whatever like within like the top sports as opposed to actually boosting new sports promoting potentially cool sports or uh, you know underwatch sports to promote and like that, that like that is their main thing like they have they have a paying audience they can actually start promoting that this is a per this was the perfect time now what i'm talking about is obviously updated to 2020 post-covid world however at the time writing this i still believe this holds a lot of weight and if you're unfamiliar with the Ocho, I highly suggest you watch Dodgeball, the movie Dodgeball. I think with Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller. And uh, I don't want to, I don't want to dive too much into the details of it. But essentially, Dodgeball ends up being televised on an ESPN sister network. And you, you know, you know, there's ESPN One, ESPN Two, ESPN College. Eventually, uh, they end up being shown at ESPN, the Ocho. And once a year, I believe in the last few years, ESPN actually dedicates a single day to the Ocho where they rebrand one of their channels to show one-off sports. I think that's pretty cool in itself. But specifically, this series determines which Ocho sport does actually deserve to go mainstream, and that's the key part, is mainstream. Usually. Uh, one example that they tried doing this was the old Great Outdoor Games, which uh, I think before the X Games and all that, it was uh, just an outdoor competition where people are like hacking saws, they're rolling on logs, they're climbing trees with the saws that they just, they're not the saws, but like the axes that they throw. And, and that's just one example. Dodgeball is another. You see darts occasionally. Uh, and to a lesser extent now, uh, I wouldn't say eSports is an Ocho sport, because that's kind of been growing in popularity, and we've seen it in Twitch. However, uh, I've only written a, only one note here uh, because of this, because I didn't, was actually, was never anticipating to actually go down this list until I created an episode literally related to it. But there are a lot of sports that I would like to watch, or there's certain sports that I think haven't been have not got that mainstream attention that have a potential opportunity and it's not because it just isn't inherently unpopular for example hockey if hockey was at ESPN hockey already has its own base 
And we're talking about like, sports that are just underrepresented. Again, it could be darts. I mean, it could be skee-ball. It could be... I mean, it could be a lot of things. Unfortunately, I did not spend any time preparing for this card, so I'm going to leave it at that. But I think that's a good series, where each episode dives into a specific sport that is underwatched, underutilized. Um, but there is one that actually did catch my interest, and I caught this at a conference, and it's uh, uh, the World Surf League. I think it's World Surf League or something like that. Where I believe the league itself, is in the world of surfing, they develop technology to artificially create waves to where uh, professionals can just go to many different sites and do different surf, like have different surfing competitions. I believe that's what they what they're doing. Like that would be something pretty interesting to do. Um, again, I don't think it's like the mainstream level, but I would prefer to have like a series that actually dives deep into certain sports and why they deserve like that fair share to reach the public. Uh, the closest one that I could think about, which it's more of a league and not a sport was the XFL. If you guys know about me and what I talk about with sports and all on all that one all that fun jazz. I love the XFL, I love what it offered. Especially as the as the season was white as, as as it was going. But due to COVID, it completely just obliterated the sport all in itself. I'm very sad, honestly. To hear that. Next one. This one's a two-parter in a uh, for series, so this is all in one note card. There's no specific information outside of what I've written here. So it's called, uh, let's see. <laughs> this is actually not bad. These two aren't bad. Uh, so this is the two-parter. Um, so I'll call, th call this one, this is number three. Uh, call it Nostalgia Break. I don't know why I, I like to call words a break, but uh, an arrow that says something cool. Maybe it's something with a name. But, it, but the idea behind the series here is to take a deeper look into our nostalgic, into our nostalgic cartoons and shows that we used to watch as kids. And obviously, it's going to be targeted towards people my age, millennials, maybe some Gen Xers, and maybe some of the late, like early, early Zoom, early Zoomers. We talk about you know talk about some of our top shows, why they are awesome, and so on and so forth. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I don't know, Rocket Power, Rugrats, Doug, anything in Nickelodeon, even some old school anime, old school like X-Men, all that stuff, like stuff that we still love. And I'll offer a quick shout out though um, to my buddy, uh, he has his own podcast, and yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to listen, but if it's, if this like old school nostalgia stuff, like nerdy stuff, uh, you know, uh, it makes your pants tighter, I guess. I, I don't know what else. I can't think of another way to say it, but uh, what if it gets you going? Uh, check out uh, Not Your Average Nerds, where they talk about a lot of uh, nerdy stuff, sports, superheroes, uh, what's going, what's coming up with TV, games. Uh, yeah, check them out. Uh, but the idea behind this is just to kind of go over in detail about why people, why kids loved it, shit, why these shows were awesome. And that's, you know, that's number three. And the follow-up to this, which I think is actually pretty, which I think might actually have a better hook, at least to me, is call it Nostalgia Broken. So, for one, we build up the, build up the old school nostalgia shows, uh, whereas this, this new one, Nostalgia Broken, would be discussing how cartoons could have and would have and should have turned into 2019, or let's just say current year. So this is a bit of a different take where we decide 
how would, say, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, how would, like, Rugrats, how would Doug, how would everything else have changed in current year? Now that we're all adults, um, after watching these kids, what things would have changed? How would we have said certain jokes? Or, would, like, would the show even keep its same appeal? And what would be different, what would be the same, and how would we go about talking about different things? And especially in today's like cancel culture, where people you know, people are more PC than ever, which, by the way, I do not know if that's even true or not. The fact of the matter is, when I was a kid, I never paid attention to that. When I was in my teens, you know, it was all rebel stage. In my early 20s, I was so busy trying to not be poor, I never, I never stopped to think about this stuff. Now I'm in my 30s, and it just seems like the world... I feel like I'm like, I, I, I just recall PC culture, PC, don't want to be PC, PC, PC. And those are the things that I've heard growing up, but I never actually spent time to think and listen to all that stuff until now. So now, I'm to, uh, now I know this is a side tangent, but now I'm just thinking, wait a minute. Are we spending all of our time worried about being PC due to the fact that, that maybe we, but I, I'm just so focused on what everyone else is thinking now versus where it just never seemed like a big thing. Maybe it's like selection bias or more recency bias or some sort of bias that might think that may, that might make me think that. I don't know. But uh, but I do like the idea of just talking about how the cartoons would have, should have, should, would have, should have, and could have changed if they were thrown into the current year, especially now with a lot of like subjects at hand. So those are two little ideas right there. Number three and four. I don't know if you guys have better names for it, but I just, I don't know, I just like naming series. I like coming up with names for just random stuff. So that's after four, four note cards. And I think we're like 17 minutes in, so I do think we ha we'll have a decent amount of time talking. Like, discussion, self-discussion and monologuing, obviously. Uh, for, yeah, for like the next 20 or so minutes, which makes me happy, because I was a little bit nervous that... I would keep speaking, and then all of a sudden, after like note card eight and nine, uh, we'd only be 30 minutes in. So I'm very glad I'm not there yet. So it's flip side. This episode could be between 45 minutes and 90 minutes. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time letting you guys say, like, check out the timestamp or episode idea or whatever. Obviously, I'm, I'm more or less riffing this, uh, only because, you know, I was kind of excited to talk about this in general. And today, I almost thought about not actually doing this uh, this week because I've just been so busy um, life, adulting, and all that fun jazz but I, like I said, I, I really like talking about this stuff only because I get to hear myself out loud and see what actually makes sense obviously when we talk about things in our own head it sounds great or maybe terrible in our own head but until it's actually vocalized and even just to yourself, you can actually have it seep back in uh, for like review and just to acknowledge and you know, take what you say for what you believe it's really worth. That being said, we are moving on to series number five. So this one is a lot of notes here. Uh, so I'm going to see if this makes sense. So I'm going to quick take a look. Okay. So I think I got this. It starts out as saying, the day blank became God. So essentially goes into the logic of what what other would have been an objective objectable decision. What? 
<laughs> okay. Okay, I get this one. So this series, The Day Blank Became God. This is a series where we dive deeper into certain situations and scenarios where one person directly affected the outcome due to their due to their position of power. And I'm not talking about political power. I'm talking about power within a certain state, a certain uh, you know, a certain situation where one person definitively changed the outcome of either the world, how we perceive things, or yeah, in everything in general. And this ultimately entails that this one person had the decision and with know-how to prevent that from happening. They had the capability. And I guess the latest example, and I don't want to get too political, but this is obviously the most relevant example to date, is the George Floyd thing. Uh, I'm not going to dive too much deeper into it, but let's just say the cop itself, you know, he's playing God. He decided what he wanted to do. He totally had the choice not to. He was being filmed. Everyone was watching. But that was the day he decided to play God. Okay? That's just the most recent example. Now, that's just relating to 2020. Going back to the card here. Because I do provide examples. Which are more, fun ex more funner examples. I don't want to, you know, bring you guys down. And, uh, you know, race. And I don't want to say politics. Because it's not really political, honestly, at the end of the day. Um, however... Uh, relating the series back to these different types of ideas, my, my first one uh, that I wanted to mention was, let's see here, yeah, essentially, essentially, let's see, I have here whoever gave Vince a cue, I don't know what that means, um, but one example, there's 63 here, the first example that I have is the Armando Galarraga perfect game. And so this is a sports game, and this is what I believe killed this guy's career. I remember watching this game. I think it was about, it was about 10, 15 uh, years ago. Armando Galarraga was, it was his debut game in for the Detroit Tigers, and he pitched 26 beautiful outs in this game. He pitched nine and three quarters. Three quarters innings of a perfect game. On his major league debut. I think as a rookie. Like, his, his, he's just his, his almost coming out party. A complete unknown. I think he was called up like the day before. And I think, uh, I think Sports Nation, SB Nation might, might talk about that in more detail. The only reason why he did not get the perfect game is because in the last out, in the, at, you know, batter number 27, I forget whose name, but he hits a small grounder to the first baseman. And the last thing I remember was that it, either two things happened. I don't have the clip in front of me. Actually, I'm going to check it out right now. I, I pulled it up. That didn't take like a minute. But So I pulled up the game. You know, bottom of the ninth, two outs, 1-1 one, one count. I forget the batter's name, but the batter does ground to, I think, Miguel Cabrera, who's the first baseman, and Armando uh, books at the first base to beat the first race, to beat the batter who's running to be safe. Obviously, he doesn't want to be the guy who gives up the perfect game. And it's very clear, absolutely crystal clear, even in real time, it was a bang, bang play. 
Armando Galarraga beats the runner by like at least a tenth of a second, which in baseball world is huge. And I, w I wish I could show, I wish I can show you the clip or have you listen to it. But obviously, you want to help you fall asleep. So feel free to look at that in your own time, probably in the morning. And the ump, I know his name, Jim Joyce. You know, he emphatically throws his arms up into a safe motion and everyone in the stadium just flips their, you know, just flips out. The announcers are just dumbfounded. Everyone is just, like, they lost. They, they, everyone just didn't know what to do. Like, and the managers go out there like, you need to review this play, you need to do this, you need to check this out. And I think this was before even replay happened. And the fact of the matter is, even, you know, some of the old, old baseball peers are like, well, even if it was close, just give them a perfect game, the game was over. Um, but it wasn't even that close. It wasn't even, it wasn't even the benefit of the doubt, give it to the pitcher. It was literally the pitcher, he had it. He, that, he legit, on video, had the perfect game, locked up. So, Armando Galarraga gets the perfect game. However, it's not officially a perfect game because they marked it safe, wrongfully safe, batter. Of course, next at bat, you know, um, I think he forces a ground out or fly out. The game's over. However, the big thing is that the day Jim Joyce became God, he had the opportunity, and I say God in the sense of he literally changed the outcome of history in, the, in this realm. He made that decision. He did not stop. He did not think he had the opportunity to change that. He was the guy. But because of that, it seemed like after that game, Armando just kind of fizzled out. It was his debut. He was just brought up, and now he, and after that, he just fizzled away, and I don't know if he's even in the MLB anymore or whatever. But I do believe uh, an alternate timeline, or there would be completely, like his whole career, everything about him would have completely gone in a different tra trajectory. Obviously, there's no way to prove this, but had, had that perfect game happen. And that's one, that's literally one example of, of that. Um, because, I mean, you know, if he were to, if he were to get that perfect game, you know, he just came into the bigs, gets a perfect game, first go, his confidence, everything else would have to skyrocket. And, you know, don't give me the whole, well, he almost had a perfect game. It should be the same. It's like, no, no. It's, you know, it's, it's something that I think it's only happened, like, what, 20-something times or 80-something times in, in MLB. Uh, it's a very, very low percentage of times where perfect, perfect games happen. He gets that. He can have the confidence. He can, he can just, you know, become, like, that was essentially his, that could have been his baseline. That could have been him leveling up into elite greatness, him getting his stuff together, him, you know, not living in a could-have-been moment. Jim Joyce effectively destroyed this man's career. Did it? No. That's the claim I'm making. But that is kind of the idea behind this series. As you can tell, I'm very emphatic about this idea because there are a lot of these. I mentioned, yeah, Rondo Galarraga's perfect game, and then another example, I had Jester Timberlake's wardrobe malfunction. I mean, for the very fact that we still use wardrobe malfunction as a legitimate uh, reason versus a meme-slash-hilarious excuse uh, back in the day when that actually happened. And if you are, if you are unfamiliar with the Jester Timberlake's wardrobe malfunction, then 
you are probably not old enough to smoke a cigarette. But, <laughs> but I mean, the same thing could be said. Justin Timberlake was the man. Like, he, regardless of what you think, he pretty much played, uh, changed a lot of history by doing that. Um, the cool thing about this is that, you know, over time, you can kind of, with the series, you could talk about an alternate timeline of what he could have done or, what, or how things could have changed had, you know, Jim Joyce or, who, or Joseph Timberlake made a different decision and decided not to play God or something like that. Everything could have changed completely. And, uh, and that's kind of the idea behind the series. I don't want to go more into that, but there are many examples. If this particular one does interest you, because I, I don't know, I feel like I talked with a bit of a flare and spark. Feel free to send me an email, droolishpodcast at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter, at droolishpodcast, and let me know. Maybe this could be its own series. Maybe one day I'll create a different podcast that actually dives deeper into this, turn it into a video, and maybe it could become something. But until then, that's just on a note card. Now it's a 10-minute rant on audio. Next idea, number six series idea, I should say. This is simply called People Actually Do This? So I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't consider myself a particularly, a t- particularly smart person. I don't consider, consider myself like a dum-dum. I mean, I could be an idiot at times, don't get me wrong. Uh, but in the same vein, I feel like I'm aware enough to understand social situations, social settings, and it's not just uh, not just the mass, but I feel like just more of the nuanced day-to-day things. I like to observe, let's, just to say that. Throughout my life, I'm a big fan of Seinfeld, I love observational humor, and there's just a lot of things that just don't make sense. And it's not just don't make sense, it's just, um, like I do a lot of things that don't make sense, but if you talk to me and explain why I do things, I think you can buy some of the logic behind it. But the series revolves around just certain situations or scenarios where people might say something or might do something without any rhyme or reason. And it, it's just explaining, like, what the hell? And not just explaining, like, what the hell's going on, but to actually provide the nuanced, like, details of, like, how other people react in relation to what the main person's doing, which I think a lot of, like, comedy and a lot of series don't actually do, where people just tend to... I don't know, I feel like people just tend to buy into the idea of just... I don't know, shenanigans as one thing, but realistically, it's like, it's not even like, I don't want to say society norms, it's just, it's just things that make sense, don't make sense. Now, I wish I could go into this, because I think at the time when I wrote this, I had like 20 examples in my head, but I only wrote the a series idea down, so unfortunately, this idea, the series idea doesn't hold that much weight, so that's got to go. see there are there are let's see two or three more cards that are series related this next one this one is a series and I only labeled this called NFL dash Devin Hester I don't know if the series actually has a different name however um, the idea behind at least what I've did the essence of what I wanted to create here for the series essentially revolves around the idea of 
of understanding NFL exploitation. And now I'm not talking about exploiting as players or owners, you know, all the trade talks or NFLPA strikes and whatnot. No, no, no. I'm talking about exploitation, exploitations in the NFL game, like literally within the game that people are not aware of. And it could just be the fact that you know, a lot of people are just playing the games, uh, you know, players are just in the games, they're just doing their normal things. But there are, there tend to be players that just game break the game itself, or like they revolutionize, they revolutionize the game, or they do something that completely fools everyone, and it's not taking advantage of at all. So this is what the series effectively is. I don't have a name for it, it's just like the snow card. And the first example that I want to mention is Devin Hester. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Devin Hester, he is, I think, hands down, the, the greatest of all time uh, kick returner in the NFL. And if you're new to the NFL, um, kick returns are a rare thing. But uh, at the time, uh, the kickoffs were a big deal, and Devin Hester was just a beast at it. Uh, he, I think, even in his NFL debut, he like ran for a touchdown. He had like a record-setting like X amount of touchdowns, kickoff return touchdowns, and he was explicit. He was exclusively drafted for that ability. Like he was his best at college, and the Bears wanted him. He didn't have a specific position. They're like, we want you to. They're like, they're like, we don't want you to be wide receiver. We don't want you to be all this. Just return kicks. That's how valuable you are. And he had like Hall of Fame career doing it. At least to my knowledge. So, what are the things that he did? And I think they, they interviewed him, and what people described is that he had amazing elusiveness, he had amazing vision. He can almost kind of predict where people are going ahead of time. Now, in this specific example with Devin Hester, um, and how he broke the game is that they interviewed him. They interviewed him, I think, at ESPN or, or something along these lines. And it might have been at, after he was retired, or maybe when he was still playing. And he talked about his process of returning kicks. And one of the things he said, which if you are an NFL player, if you're someone, if you're an NFL coach, if you're someone in the NFL and you're listening to this, hold this dear. This is this is this would be like my hopefully my contribution to the world. And hopefully you're, you don't play for Perkins of Chicago. I really hope someone from the Detroit Lions organization does listen to this. Just don't give it to Chicago, please. Devin Hester says this. He says, every time I get a kickoff, I wait one to two seconds and I take a step back and then see, every, see how everyone reacts to me doing that. But he does that for every single kick. And he, and he says, he says, no one else, I think he says something along, along, along the lines of, no other kick returner does this, they just want to grab it and run. They don't, they, they don't take that extra second to see how people are running. They don't see the directions they're going. They don't take it all in. So Devin Hester effectively, and after that he says, he says, well, he's like, I don't want to say, it's like, I don't want to give everything away, but it's like, that's essentially it. And still to this day, I have not seen many NFL players, especially kick returners, do what Devin Hester does. And it's not just specifically the vision and elusiveness, but it was that initial thought of him taking one to two seconds, like maybe just a split second, to kind of lean back and just see how people react to, to him catching it. And then he'll, he'll adjust as needed. So he'll have more time to, play. he effectively uses that one or two seconds to plan. 
uh, versus React. And if everyone else is, if every other tick return or history is reacting and they're suboptimal, and you see Debonesher come in being very successful by doing the opposite, you would think that that might be a good idea. A very good idea. Again, that is a sheer exploitative play or whatever, you know, play you can exploit. But that, I am hard pressed to believe that that, like, that can't work. Like, that has to work. That just has to work. And then, uh, and then there was another example, too. I wanted to get another episode within the series, series called Broken Plays. And I think we see this all the time. And I think John Boys, Boys, I wait, can't, can't pronounce his last name. Uh, super awesome SP Nation dude. Um, he talks about the shenanigans on how even 22 grown men on a field have no idea how to act the moment a play becomes broken. If, so, if something out of the ordinary happens, no one has any idea what the hell they're doing. Then it just goes from a traditional NFL play to backyard football and people are just wigging it. The odd thing and great thing about this is that when it comes to broken plays in the NFL, and a broken play can simply be, you know, if the QB fumbles a snap, or the running back, you know, there's a, there's a random fumble or just something's off. Like, uh, the quarterback decides to, like, run instead of pass, and then he, and then it turns out he bails on the run, and then everyone's just like, what the hell's going on? Okay? But effectively, most broken plays happen um, through fumbles. And... I've noticed that if you have the strong ability, and this is where I think Patrick Mahomes is why, he, why he's insane, uh, and a lot of like mobile QBs that can throw can be very deadly, is that a, a lot of broken plays, you can plan around broken plays and being disciplined if and when plays are broken. And all that, especially, all that is essentially on the offense if the offense is trained to recognize a broken play and they still act accordingly, that puts them way ahead of the game compared to the defense that recognizes a broken play. By that I mean, I'll give an example. Uh, one of my favorite, my favorite example, at least I, see, I saw a couple years ago, was from uh, Baker Mayfield. Uh, and he, I, think, I forget what game he played, but there was one where he ended up throwing for a touchdown or a very deep pass. It was all because of the fact that he got a high snap. And when he got the high snap, he intentionally lobbed the ball up over his head. It wasn't that big. It was about like a foot or two over his head. And he grabbed it within like a half second. But it was enough to get the defense's attention that made it appear that it was a broken play, that they didn't need to cover the wide receivers, that they can kind of let down on coverage just to focus on the potential fumble and just say, screw it. Let's just go let's let's just go go for dirt. You know, go for go for broke. And by doing so, I I, I want to get Phil to verify this. Um, left a number of his wide receivers like flat out open just for that split second to where Baker was able to toss it deep and his receivers were able to get obscene distance and throws for an easy touchdown. A lot of broken plays are also just really good plays that are just appear to be trick plays um, as well. Well, trick plays can be disguised as broken plays too. But there is not enough that is seen in regards to the NFL and people exploiting broken plays. In NFL, if you're an NFL coach, if you're looking for a play designer or someone who can find these exploits, I'm your guy. That's what I do for a living. 
not just for NFL, but for a lot of things. So that is something to take home. I have a couple more cards. Yeah, those are actually two good series. I, I, like I said, I really like to talk more about sports in general. Uh, it's just the idea of sports and teams. Uh, how, you know, teamwork, everyone really depends on each other, and if you're able to do that, you can really judge how teams play with ebbs and flows and see who can be good. And, you know, all these, I'm not going to dive too much deeper into it, but, um, but yeah, sports essentially makes me gaga. I go gaga for sports, mainly the NFL and, like, more more turn-based sports. What's the next one? This one's not much of a series. It's, these ones end up being topics now. Uh, and this one I probably have to redact, but I'm going to say it anyway. This one's called, uh, Has Anime Reached Its Saturation Point? And What Can Be Done About It? And essentially I wanted to point out the influence of top YouTubers where they, like I think Gigguk, Super Eyepatch Wolf, Teching 101, and there's probably a lot more where they built up their anime base so much uh, over the last several years as it kind of reached mainstream level uh, to where people go to them to say like, hey, what's the recommended shows we should watch? What should we do this? And I, it's my firm belief that these guys actually should have a huge stake in pitching uh, top anime that could actually be viewed uh, for the, at, on the mainstream level. Like, they can actually go to Adult Swim. They can go to Literally Fox, ABC, a lot of the, or even just more like tier two networks, um, like FX or you know, USA or you know, all that, and just pitch really hype anime shows, and not just put it, you know, not just force it to be on like one specific network, like Cartoon Network, but you can actually drive real influence if you actually, if if some of these companies would just reach out to these guys and find these like you know OP amazing anime that not many people talk about, just just due to the fact that there's only three limited distribution channels. Now, I wrote this, again, a year ago, and obviously it's changed since then because Netflix in general has, like, taken over, like, the, the stand-up space, the anime space. Um, so it's kind of changed that methodology. Plus, I also have a different theory that uh, that the Zoomers these days, and shout-out to the Zoomers. If you are a Zoomer, um, you know, I, I like to joke about your age, but seriously, you guys are going to be the future of tomorrow, and as a millennial, that... Uh, constantly got shat on from older generations. I don't want that to happen to you guys. You guys are born in a post-9-11 post world. Uh, either that, you're born and you really don't remember too much of what it was like before 9-11. Whereas some of, us, some of us millennials, if not all of us, have seen how decent life was before shit got crazy. We've been molded and we're still being molded through what's going on now. Whereas you guys have just never got to see the grass greener on the other side. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. So you Zoomers, uh, you guys, you, yeah, you guys are, you guys just are insane. Uh, and I think it's going to take a lot for you guys to be, to be taken down. And I don't want you guys to be taken down. You guys, I don't know. You guys are good. You guys are cool. I don't fully understand you yet, but you guys are cool. But that being said, little sidetrack. You no, know, I think uh, because of the Zoomer talk, uh, I think the Zoomers have fully adopted anime, so it's not like if you don't think anime is quote-unquote mainstream, uh, I thought the saturation point was happening, but the Zoomers have kind of made me re re rethink that. Um, I, I just think that's just going to be a culture thing that they love doing. 
do anime references and you do all these shenanigan crazy things. Naruto runs, you know, it's just adapt it's just adopted into their life. So I'm down to these this is actually just these two random uh, note cards, and it's really just the uh, idea for the YouTube channel having a cop had a podcast related to like coffee. It's more absurdist, not really anything related to anything. Um, the only note that I wrote here was just said uh, it says always write a script for YouTube, and that's it. You know, it's kind of useless at this point, so these ones are kind of bad cards. So there you have it, folks. I know I probably was a little bit more high energy this episode, and I don't know if that's a good thing, that's a bad thing. But, it is what it is. Um, which is very true. <laughs> it could also be whatever I say it is. Um, so, I, I don't know, I, I enjoyed talking about this, this particular, these set of note cards. I'm very happy uh, that I was able to you know, reach my 45 minute threshold of chatting about this stuff. And hopefully you guys enjoyed some of this, and hopefully uh, if you are a creative person or you're someone who likes to talk about ideas or you're more of an action-oriented guy, feel free to, like I said, let me know what you think about this mini-series. Obviously, it's um, this is a kind of the wrap-up of it. But even speaking out loud, you know, I I feel I feel pretty happy with, uh, with this one, especially talking about the sports stuff. It's kind of rekindled a little bit of some of the things I want to do. Uh, that's pretty rare, actually. Uh, if you talked, if you listen to this whole uh, series, it's kind of been about 25 to 50%. In some cases, almost 90% of the cards were just complete trash. And uh, this one, it's almost the opposite. I've only got rid of two. And these were the last two cards that had nothing really to do with anything. So, do you have it, folks? I don't have any transitions. Uh, I'm just gonna say it's time for final words. So, final words. Parting words, I should say. First time listening, parting words are just mainly just me talking, riffing for like the next 10 minutes, maybe maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more. Talk about random things. I don't know why I have to explain myself, but but hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed the podcast. I know the I know the energy was a little bit higher compared to other episodes. And again, if, it, if, it's some, if this is something you like, let me know. I will probably focus on more content that brings this energy. If it's too much energy, let me know as well. Um, but if you also like the content, but the energy is too high, I have considered uh, creating a, another podcast that is a little bit the opposite of this, where it's not as long-winded, it's not as uh, like this. It's not like this. There's no rain. Um, uh, but I want to create a pod- I want I want to create a way to not just talk about things that interest me. Like I want to. How should I word this? I want to talk about things that help you think more uh, in general, and to look at different perspectives. And it's not just like, oh yeah, look at different perspectives, be a better person. It's like no, no, no. It's not like that. No, no, no. I mean that you know obviously be a better person is probably should be the goal for all of us be a little bit better all the time but I want to help not help I can't say help but I want to assist in getting people to be a little bit more open-minded to look at multiple perspectives and I want to actually challenge a lot of the common conceptions or potentially misconceptions of certain logic and thoughts that most of us even including myself tend to live day in and day out and 
it's not going to be easy for me to create this because a lot of this is going to go against very popular opinion. And I, you know, it's not, it's hard, it's hard to think about that because um, now what, I'm trying to provide an example because I, I did record a pilot episode for it. And I liked it, but I also didn't like it at the same time. Because I like to think a lot. And not only do I like to think, but I, I find most of my progress and most of my growth is has been derived from me, like, kind of unshackling the notion of what I thought before, of, like, things that are constant and changing something completely different or taking a different perspective and acting accordingly. And that's, that's kind of what I wanting to do. Um, I mentioned this once, probably several months ago, but I, uh, I've been taking a course um, from a guy named Sam Ovens, who, if you are familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, he is the complete opposite of Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, he's focused strictly on his product, he's strictly focused on ads, he's focused strictly on sales. And it's not just that, but his end game is just to provide world-class value in what he does. Um, to where you don't justify the price and he teaches you how to do the same. And one of the key things he's mentioned was that all of us have defined who we are. And even if we don't define who we are, we have our own defined set of beliefs, thoughts, and kind of just our day-to-day -day, like actions. And a lot of this stuff, you've also probably heard elsewhere, it's just through, you know, who we are is kind of just, and what we do is just through all of our habits, and generally those habits are built upon rituals and things we do daily, and that's based off of whatever kind of institu instituted those initial beliefs and thoughts. So I want to challenge those thoughts. He, he calls it, he calls it light and darkness, and he says what you, what you say you are, what you identify as, and kind of the things you do day in, day in and day out that you are able to recognize. You know, that's the light version of you. That's the that's the version that everyone sees. And even if you're all by you know, even if you're home by yourself and you still act accordingly, that's still kind of the light version of you. Like the the bright light, not like um, not like a diet, but like a it's like the lightest like light version. And he, he encourages he's like look he says, look, if there's lightness, there's obviously darkness. There's always two sides to every point. So while you always talk about what you are, you can also identify what you are not. And for some things, if you're able to say, oh, I'm not a marketer or I'm not a smart person or I'm not a finance guru or something like that. He says, well, if you know what you're not, then it's time for you to look into the darkness. Look at all, look at all the things that are not you and identify, like, is that a weakness? Is that a strength? Obviously, it's, it's a complete opposite of... You know, put your best foot forward. He just says, look, if you are kind of at a standstill and you're not making progress, who you are out of all the habits you're doing, you have to look into the darkness and look at what you are not. And from there, you're going to have to pull that out and change that and become make that to something that you are. Yeah, so while he was talking more specifically about learning skills and whatnot for sales or marketing or whatever you want to do, it did get me thinking that that the, the same could be said with just mindset. I mean, it, it's more or less the same. It, 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 I'm not going to mince words. It's more or less the same. But that, but taking that to the levels of kind of how society thinks, how how we all think in general, 
uh, is different. And to give you an example of, well, I'll give you one example. So, and if you're still listening, I applaud you, but I really hope you fall asleep. Um, certainly eat a mandarin, and if you are still awake, due to the fact that maybe the content is pretty interesting, I I, I don't know. You got it's up to you to decide. Um, well, you're gonna find that you're gonna find this snippet. Uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, decent. So the whole idea of, for example, rich people. We see this all the time. Uh, if we're on Reddit or if we're on, sh- on social media or whatever, you, we might see something along the lines of, I'll say Trump. Let's just throw Trump into this. No, I don't want to see Trump. That's going to be in your dreams. I don't want to do that. Sorry, I'm sorry, guys. Let's just let's do something that won't wake you up. Um, let's say Jeff Bezos. Okay, let's say Jeff Bezos. If you are unfamiliar with Jeff Bezos, he owns Amazon. One of the richest guys in the world. Let's leave it at that. He has made enormous contributions to the world. Just on our day-to-day, how we operate, like he solved like three third-party logistics, he solves all these things, he solves a lot of problems. But don't get me wrong, he's got a lot of flack. But the idea behind this is there's going to be a lot of people that hate bait Jeff Bezos just on the fact that you know he doesn't either donate enough or with all the money he has, he just hasn't donated to the right charities or he puts or he funds things that turn out to go bad or wrong or that maybe he might not have spent a lot of money on like BLM or more, you know, more progressive type of, more progressive types of organization. People say he's got $50 billion, he should be able to help do X, Y, Z. So none of those, none of those ideas are wrong inherently. However, what no one really tends to do, and I challenge you guys to do this, I mean, maybe if this stops your mind chatter, this would be great, but I do challenge you to do this, is to walk, put yourself in the shoes of Jeff Bezos. Flip the coin. You know, you're now the multi-billionaire person who does this. You can read his books, whatever. But don't just put yourself in his shoes. Put yourself in his life of a guy who grew up, had probably no understanding of kind of or maybe might have had some semblance of understanding of what was going on with the world when he was younger. Um, but he eventually wanted to sell books or create a company and have it, have it grow. As, you know, say 20, 30 years ago, like in the 90s, he starts, he start, he founds Amazon, and he's like, okay, I'm going to spend all my time trying to sell these books. I'm going to code, I'm going to work, I want to get my way, I'm going to start this operation, I'm going to figure these things out. The thing is, when you dedicate your life to something like this, to building your your legacy, your company. Over time, when you build your life, tunnel vision to one thing. The thoughts of people who aren't doing the things that help you, or the thoughts of people that that say, hey, you should focus on this, or pay attention to some of the social things, or your workers. Like, over time, he's going to have, over time, a lot of the things and what people are saying to you either start to get drowned out or they start getting pushed by the wayside due to bigger things that he's going to focus on. So as he stops selling, or as he's focused on books and he starts selling other things, 
that was his thing. He wanted to expand his process as he wanted to create a platform for people, for other merchants to sell anything across the world. He wanted to do that. That, that you know, these things, you, know, you, don't, you don't snap your fingers and it's going to happen. He's going to spend a lot of time, he's going to work with a lot of teams, he's going to have to communicate with a lot of people almost 18, 20 hours a day. Like, at least at the start. So, you get this guy. The walkthrough, the average day of Jeff Bezos, like for the last 30 years, as he's building his company, as he's got new things to focus on. He'll wake up, he might have a sip of coffee in the morning, he might check the news to kind of see what's going on. But then he has just meetings, you know, figuring out what he's going to do, visions for the company, does everything. Eventually, as he winds down throughout the day, he might have one to two hours to himself throughout the day. That is not, that, that he's not 100% focused on his work, his, his craft, his, his baby. You give him like two hours a day. So, you give a billionaire two hours a day to listen, at most, to listen to all of the world's problems, to listen to all of your problems, to listen to all of my problems, to listen to all of society's problems. From, uh, you know, say George Floyd, COVID, uh, Trump, terrorists, you know, the world economy, uh, you know, people not affording to live, uh, no funds, like people dying and across the world, diseases, okay, I'm just being top level stuff. And out of all the solutions that people want, you know, people, there, there's so many problems that could be solved. I'm saying like in the millions, but not billions. You're asking a billionaire to spend, who has two hours a day, I'm saying at most, of, of, of divided attention, I might add. Remember, this is, when he's winding down, this, like, he could spend those two hours just meditating for himself, for his peace, his sanity. When you start looking and going through different perspectives of other people, you start to understand why they can't do what they do. I mean, the same thing could be said with you know, Mr. T, Mr. T, the President T. It, you know, it, it starts to bring around understanding to that. Now, I'm not here to say, does it justify it? I don't know. Should, should Jeff Bezos do blank? Who am I to say? Okay, I'm just a guy on a podcast helping him fall asleep. Jeff Bezos is a multi-billionaire who built something from the ground up who's Believe it or not, I'm pretty sure he's trying his best to do a few things. But to a lot of us, his best isn't good enough because it doesn't help us. And when we take that step back, it just might not be to the fact that he is a conniving, quote-unquote, evil dude that wants to take over the world. It's not the case at all. This is our perception of that. And again, how is Jeff Bezos supposed to listen to anything and everything. I mean, even Bill Gates has his own fair share, and he donates, what, 40 billion or like 99.9% .9 of his funds to to save the world, more or less. And people still hate him. Again, Bill Gates is still not a, the perfect guy to use as an example. We all, there's some stories around him, but still. Uh, the, the idea behind you know, looking at a different perspective is kind of something that um, it's been like really it's been striking to me, um, and hopefully that that is striking to you too. That's something that would cut. Hopefully that cuts deep.
uh, kind of in how your process and how your thought processes are. And that's why I mentioned earlier in the podcast, or I hope that this podcast is something that you can enjoy listening to that helps you fall asleep. Um, but eventually there's the goal to where you don't need this podcast. Or maybe the use of this podcast is just more for entertainment. Or maybe it's just to listen to me. And that's kind of the, maybe that's kind of the ethos of it. Uh, I mean, the whole, the whole idea behind this podcast has ch- changed a lot since I started. I mean, I wanted to create a podcast where it was just pretty boring. And it would get kind of dry and it's just mainly my voice. And I uh, wanted to add just random things. But as you can tell, it's kind of changed a lot. Um, and the only way for you guys to understand the change, uh, a lot of you, is if you listen from the get-go, you understand, but if you haven't, you know, I'm just some guy talking, and it's put no context behind it. I mean, that's kind of all I got to say. And that's kind of like the, yeah, the ethos of this potential podcast, the podcast that I would like to talk more about. It's just I have like 15, like 10 to 15 minute segments of just kind of thinking different. Um, or just taking or just taking a leap into the other side. Um, and a lot of it is not... A lot of it I have to say with like a half smile and with like a little sweat bead on my on the side because it's like, you know, these aren't, these aren't going to be popular things. As a matter of fact, it's gonna, they're going to be quite un- unpopular. Um, so the only thing I can do is best explain myself in a format that lets me best explain myself. Maybe that's why I, I'm terrible at Twitter. I'm terrible at social media. As people just want the now, they want the two-minute version, and I, I'm not. I'm not capable of doing that. Maybe I am. Maybe. Maybe I'll take my own advice. Look, look at what I'm not, and just say, you know, what, maybe it's going to be something I am. So I mean, you know what? Let's do it right now. Here's the final two-minute version of this of what I'm trying to get at. I want to get to the. I want to create something that helps people understand the mindset in a concise manner. Also in a manner that makes it simple to understand. But I also know that it's not going to happen because that's just not how, how humanity works. But I'm going to do my best to, 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 to try. Maybe that's it. Maybe it doesn't even need to be two minutes. That was it. Well, folks, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast episode. I certainly have. And unfortunately, due to time constraints and me being an adult for the next uh, foreseeable future, we are probably going to be doing one episode a week. And uh, it could change, and I hate doing this, but the only way for me to um, consider um, probably spending more time on these episodes is that... uh, Actually, I don't even know anymore. (laughs) Uh, Generally... Um, the feedback is honestly just means a lot more. I do have a Patreon. I very rarely talk about it. I mean, I've talked. I'm talking about it in like the minute six version. I'm, I'm sorry, one hour and six minutes in. So check that out. I linked it in the description. Um, but of course, I would prefer you guys to fall asleep. And until next time, take care and dream easy.